Welcome to Questions About Heaven, a podcast about giving Bible answers to our questions about the afterlife with God. Each week we seek to answer real-life questions with biblical answers about the life beyond this world. Now, here's your host, Brad Zockel. And good day to you once again. This is Brad Zockel, and we're continuing in our Questions About Heaven podcast through the book of Revelation. We have been going verse by verse, literally, and I hope you've been able to learn as we go through these wonderful, wonderful narratives as John the writer, John, in some uh, people will call him John the seer because he's able to see into the future, is given this inspiration, is given this prophecy through God the Father. Revelation chapter 1, we saw, among other things, the description of who Jesus really is. That's what this means. Revelation, the Greek word for the book of Revelation, is apocalypsis. And what does it mean? It means the unveiling. Well, what's being unveiled? Jesus, who he really is. You see, he's more than a shepherd. He's more than a miracle worker. He's more than a wonderful teacher. He's more than a compassionate leader. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The first chapter, really, we could study for years and grasp the significance of who Jesus really is, and so thankful that he's our Savior. And it also would completely just stupefy us to realize this one who is in such magnificence would stoop so low as to come down and to die for us on the cross. Luke 19.10 constantly amazes me. For the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. When you see the description of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, you wonder why would he do this? It is magnificent love, as you see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, God commends his love, he shows his love toward us, in that while we were sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. And this is offered to us. This Jesus, the magnificent one, who is in the eyes of judgment, in the power of heaven, in the victory of Revelation 19 in Armageddon, nevertheless says in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, I stand at your heart's door and I knock. All you have to do is open up the door. I will come in. It's a God of invitation. So we're going to talk about that. Revelation 2 and 3, we're talking to the churches in preparation for the magnificent story of the future, which goes from Revelation chapter 4 all the way till the end of the book, which would be in Revelation chapter 22. Specifically, the judgments on earth, God's justice is shown very greatly in Revelation chapter 6 all the way through Revelation chapter 19. And now here we are in Revelation chapter 4, and we're continuing on in the seventh verse, Revelation chapter 4, at the very beginning of this chapter, it's when John steps into heaven. As he moves through that doorway, he steps into the present heaven. And this is an amazing description. As best he can, he's trying to tell us what's going on. And you can imagine as he's trying to grasp the, the glory. I mean, think of Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 1, how he tried to to describe the glory of God. And if you've ever read Ezekiel chapter 1, you, you put the Bible down and you just shake your head and say, what have I just read? 
The glory of God is so magnificent and universal and beyond our comprehension, we just have to shake our heads and wonder on this. And Bible scholars through the years have just wrestled with the intricate detail of the glory of God and the majesty of God in here. We continue on. So let's go through and start reading. I'm going to read the second part of uh, the sixth verse in Revelation chapter 4 and move on through the beginning of Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. And as John is seeing this, it says, And in the midst of the throne and around the throne, isn't that amazing? Both within and surrounding the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had the face like a man. The fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. You know, when we talk about angels, we're talking about God's messengers. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 say that they are ministering spirits as magnificent as they seem and they show and they carry on the work of the Lord. They are still ministers. They do his work. The word angel, angelos in the Greek, means messenger. They're going about and doing God's bidding and an amazing work that they do. Gabriel, for example, Daniel chapter 9, he comes down from heaven from the throne of God to talk with Daniel. He goes over in the book of Luke to talk with Mary about the arrival of this Messiah, and she will be with the one to bear this. Michael is a battling cherubim. Uh, you see uh, him doing that. We have angels of judgment all the way through here in this book. And so we see them over here. Let's take a look now. They're having six wings. When we go back and we look in Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, we see that the description of them, their faces, he describes them, and it says their wings were spread out above. Each had two touching another being and two covering their bodies. They have four wings, not like the ones here. So we have different ones. Each one went straight forward. Wherever the spirit was about to go, they would go without turning as they went. What an amazing, amazing truth here that we see uh, that is being discussed here. This, uh, we see that the angels in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 2 and 6, these were called seraphim, and they had six wings. And they, the two, they cover their face, two, they cover their feet, and with two, they fly. And we talked about this earlier, the two covering their face. They could not look upon God, this holy Lord God. They were in humility, in looking away, covering their feet, which was considered unclean, especially in the Middle East. Uh, and they didn't want anything unclean to be shown for God. You're saying that angels have dirty feet. No, what they do, they are showing symbolically. This would be considered unclean, and they don't want God to see that. Great symbolism there, too, uh, with there. And they are flying about and they are ready to do God's command in any way. Now, it says they have, they have eyes on them, full of eyes, it says. Well, whenever we go through the scripture, we see that symbolizing uh, intelligence, wisdom. You'll see this in Daniel chapter 8, and you will see that the uh, beast that is being described there in a very scary way, it says that the horn possessed eyes like eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boasts. Well, it's saying then that the Antichrist, the prophecy, is one who's not an idiot, not just a celebrity. 
He is very wise and knows what he's doing. Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 18, it talks about those beings there. And they were covered with eyes, full of eyes, that phrase is there. It symbolizes. Are we talking about literal eyeballs? No, the symbolism here is that they had great, great wisdom. We're thinking about angelic beings, heavenly beings. An unfortunate uh, translation in one, one of the translations says that they are beasts. It was used in that description, and many did copy that over. These are not animal-like creatures. These are highly intelligent beings. They are not human, but they are very, very smart. They are uh, praising the Lord with great intelligence as well. Now, it says they, uh, they are going around and within the throne, all right? And so when we look at this, we are looking at it in this. Around and within, uh, they are showing great wisdom. And around and within the throne, they are moving about here too. And what they do is they are calling out. When we look at this passage, it tells you that they are crying out. Now in Isaiah, we saw them crying out, holy, holy, holy. And in here, as they are going about, they are also calling out, about and, and honoring God in his holiness as well. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. When you see Isaiah 6, 3, they did this. And when we see this, it's very, very important to know that among all of the things that angels could do, they never cease to praise the Lord, honor him in his glory and his holiness. Psalm 22 and verse 3 has always just amazed me in the depth of that one verse. And it says, you are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In other words, you could say this. The praises from people actually make up his throne. Very, very powerful here. When we see this, we talk continually through here about the worship of the Lord. Think of Revelation chapter 5. They're singing out. We'll find that soon. They are singing and celebrating and worshiping the Lord. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, they're celebrating the Lord. We see many times in this wonderful worship here. Now, when they call him, they call him and they are using a term in there, the Almighty. And when they call him that, boy, you have a powerful, powerful name here. They call him Pantocrator. That is a powerful term of the Almighty. It literally means one who can hold all, one who can move history with a hand, one who has all of history in the hands. It is talking about the fact that God can move anything as he wills, the sovereignty of the Lord. And it's quite humbling for us to see this wonderful truth here. That passage is also used, that name, Pantocrator, is in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8. And when we see this, we see he was and is and is to come. And you also find that in Revelation chapter 1. All right. And with this, he is the one, and you notice that, those are three phases of time. Three is the number of completeness. They are calling about this eternal one. You are complete in time. You are outside of time but time describes you in your perfectness, all right? Now, when we continue on in this wonderful narrative here, 
it says, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sit on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and they were created. So when the cherubim, that's who these are, the cherub, seraphim are only mentioned once in the Bible in Isaiah chapter six, the burning ones. These are cherubim. But somehow in their worship, this triggers the simultaneous worship by the 24 elders when they, they give this call to the Lord. They are giving him honor and glory in here. When we think about this, elders surrounding the throne in the presence of God, angels surrounding the throne in the presence of God, we will be in heaven one day. My question is, do we worship God? When we go to church, why do we go to church? Some people say in a very noble way, and I don't say this to be uh, sarcastic at all. They go, I go to learn. And of course, we can find great depth in uh, the scripture, but is that the totality of going to church on Sunday? Well, somebody goes, and I remember talking, two of us college students talking with another man over in South Carolina as we were talking about church and witnessing to him, and we were trying to ask him about his walk with Jesus Christ. He said, well, I go to church to hear the singing, and boy, can they sing. When I go, the choir just raises the roof, and we kept bringing him around. Oh, well, I go to hear the singing. Well, that is wonderful when you hear great praise music, but is that worship? Is attend I go to see my Christian friends, to be refreshed. I'm in the world all the time, the sin-sick world. At work, I get persecuted. I go to get refreshed. Okay, that's it. But is that the totality of our being? Do we go? Do you go to worship the Lord? When you see this, when these very angels are worshiping, when they do that, this term, worship, it really comes from an earlier term to say worth-ship. To say you are worthy, we are giving you that worthship because you are owed that praise from us, the one who created us. And in all of those crowns that we see through the scriptures, such as the, the crown of the crown of life, the crown of rejoicing, we see in the Timothy epistle and Revelation 2:10, the crown of life, and all of these honors, whatever they might be, they are then thrown in back to the Lord and in honoring him and saying, you are worthy here. This is not for us, this is you. You are worthy, Lord, to receive not only that, but glory, honor, and power. So it's no question we should give you our thrones back. And I'm constantly burdened by hearing of leaders within a church who they want the honor, they want the power, they want the glory. How sad. If you're in an assembly like that, leave immediately. This is not what God wants. There is, uh, as, as we continue on, these crowns are known. In Revelation chapter 4 and verse 10, these are earned crowns, Stephanos. They are earned in victory. You could call them victor's crowns there. And when you have earned them, you receive them. And you say, you might say on earth, you know, I worked hard. I deserve this. But the very same word of something that we have worked and earned on earth is also the description of these crowns in heaven. They are given to the elders and the elders give them right back. Oh no, Lord, you receive. They all cast their crowns down. 
No one says, well, I'd like to keep one of these back with me. Or another one's, well, you didn't throw yours far enough. Or maybe how about half of us keep our crowns and then you can give them. No. Everybody in unison surrounding the throne in that circle, which also represents eternity and completeness. They give that as well. They just hand them over. Why? For you created all things, and by your will they exist, and they were created. These 24 elders, they are saying this, Lord, how can we think of anything else but to acknowledge the fact that you created us? You've given us the ability to worship. You've given us the throats to sing your praise, the hands to be able to cast these crowns back before you, the joy of eternal life, <laughs> the, the residence, the very joy, Matthew 25. We're here in the joy of the Lord. Look at all the promises that God has made evident to us in heaven. How can they not praise him? It says in Luke chapter 6 and verse 21, we'll laugh in heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9 says, Eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. He is giving so much. How can we? And he gives us salvation. Even when we're in the depths of sin, he gives us salvation. How can they not worship him? Why would we think of anything else in a church service? We might get gussied up, get ourselves all ready so people can see us. Is that really the reason we should be doing this? going in the church, have we forgotten the very, very fundamental reason why we're here on earth? To worship the Lord and enjoy Him forever. And that's what it's telling here. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. They have this down. They know exactly the right frame of mind. All right? You are worthy, Lord to receive chapter 4, to receive glory and honor and power. You've created all things for your pleasure. They are and were created. Don't you like that? For your pleasure. Do you know you were created to make God happy, to bring God pleasure? And the fulfillment of the serving Christian, of the faithful Christian, is so much that Zephaniah 3.7 says that God the Father will sing over us. Isn't that absolutely amazing when we see this? So let us then stop here as we're talking about this and we're going in and uh, looking at these wonderful creatures, these wonderful heavenly beings. We can only imagine what they look like. How tall are they? We have no idea. How bright did they shine? We have no idea. Specifically, uh, what would they be like if we stood next to them? We can only guess John is just giving as best he can, and we're going to rest in that. But what do they do? No matter how magnificent or loyal or faithful and all of these things in this whole scene, everyone turns to the Lord and gives him praise and worship. Because talk about magnificence. God the Father, when you see him, no wonder in Exodus 33, it says no man can see him and live. You couldn't grasp the magnificence and the wonder of God. And yet he says this, I will dwell with you, Revelation 21.3. I will be with you. I want to be able to enjoy you and you enjoy me. So much we could say. Well, I see my time is done. Thank you so much. We're going to continue on in our walk through Revelation. Thank you so much. God bless you. And we'll talk soon. 
joining us this week on Questions About Heaven with Brad Zockel of the Zulon International Bible Institute. Be sure to visit our website, zulon.org, to learn more about our Bible ministry. That's X-U-L-O-N.org. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. And keep an eye out for our upcoming ebook, Questions About Heaven. Thanks, God bless you, and have a great day.